It's been said that truth is stranger than fiction. In May 2010, in beautiful Costa Mesa, California, that would prove to be true. With our cast of characters consisting of three young 20-somethings, a series of scenes would play out in that sunny coastal town in Orange County, including an upcoming marriage, a musical, and murder. This is the bizarre story of Daniel Wozniak. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Episode 11 of Crime Cave. I'm Christy, and this is definitely one of the most diabolical cases I have ever heard in my life. This is the case of Daniel Wozniak. There are three main players in today's story. We'll start with Sam Hare. Samuel Hare was born on May 29, 1983, in Southern California. He grew up an only child and was incredibly close to his parents, Steve and Raquel. At 26 years old, Sam was already an Army veteran, private first class, and he volunteered to go to one of the most dangerous places in the world, Camp Keating, right on the border of Pakistan and Afghanistan. Sam served on top of an observation post, and he was the guy who had to run through enemy fire to keep the generators going. Upon his return home, Sam experienced some PTSD and began having nightmares, but he was taking steps to manage them. Sam was described as a friendly and responsible young man. He worked and fought hard, and had saved $62,000 in combat pay. By the spring of 2010, Sam lived in the Camden Martinique Apartments, a vibrant complex in Costa Mesa, and was enrolled at Orange Coast College. His plan was to further his education so he could re-enlist in the Army and rise in the ranks. He ultimately got himself a tutor for his anthropology class, a 23-year-old student named Julie Kibuishi, and they became good friends, with Sam describing her as a little sister. Juri Kibuishi, known as Julie, was born in Orange County, California in 1987. When her mother, June, was pregnant with her, she initially thought she was having a third boy. But to her delight, she gave birth to a daughter on Valentine's Day. Julie had natural talent as a dancer. She began tap dancing at age five and fell in love with it. Compassionate, talented, and bright, Julie was described as the new American girl. She loved music, fashion, the band Coldplay, and Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. By 2010, Julie was studying at Orange Coast College. On the evening of Friday, May 21st, Julie went to dinner with her brother Taka and his fiancée, where they asked Julie to be a bridesmaid in their upcoming wedding. Julie was ecstatic. They even presented her with a tiara to wear at the ceremony. During dinner, Julie received several insistent text messages from her friend Sam, asking her to stop by that he needed someone to talk to. Around midnight, she told her brother she had to go and headed over to Sam's apartment, proudly donning her tiara. Daniel Wozniak was born March 23, 1984, and spent most of his life in Orange County, California. Described as fun-loving with a big, booming voice, Dan was a local actor and played the lead role in several musicals in the community theater. He and his fiancée, 
fellow community theater actor Rachel Buffett lived below Sam in the same apartment complex in Costa Mesa. Although Dan was reportedly a friendly neighbor, he was also a bit lazy, had trouble keeping a job, and had no real ambition except to be an actor. By May of 2010, 26-year-old Dan was two months behind on his rent and facing eviction. But that didn't deter him from planning a lavish wedding and honeymoon by month's end. He was also playing the lead role in the musical Nine on weekends. On the afternoon of Friday the 21st, he asked his friend Sam to help him move several large boxes at the theater. Later that night, Dan returned for his evening performance. By 9 p.m. on Saturday, May 22nd, Sam's parents had become concerned when he hadn't shown up to their home for a planned weekend visit in Anaheim Hills. After being unable to reach him, Sam's dad, Steve, drove to his apartment and let himself in with his spare key. After walking through his apartment, he made his way to the bedroom and immediately called 911. When first responders came, they found the body of Julie Kibuishi in Sam's bedroom. She was partially on the bed, kneeling on the floor, with her pants pulled down. She had been shot in the head. She was still wearing the tiara. Sam was nowhere to be found. His car and his passport were missing. Detectives immediately considered Sam the prime suspect and laid out the scenario that Sam killed Julie during or after a sexual encounter and was on the run. Police put out an all-points bulletin that he was armed and dangerous. Now, Sam's parents were understandably in disbelief, and his dad launched his own investigation. He began monitoring Sam's accounts and discovered activity at various ATMs in different locations. Police immediately followed up this lead, but surprisingly, it led them not to Sam Hare, but a very nervous teenager, 17-year-old Wesley Freelich. When confronted, Wesley told police that a guy he does community theater with named Dan Wozniak had loaned him the card and asked him to withdraw money for him. It was becoming clear that this case was definitely not what it seemed. Detectives Jose Morales and Ed Everett tracked Dan Wozniak down at his bachelor party at a sushi restaurant on May 26th, two days before his wedding. He was wearing a colorful Hawaiian shirt, but his face turned pale as they escorted him to the police station. Dan first told police that Sam had come up with a financial scheme in which Sam asked him to help him withdraw money from his accounts and then Sam would report it as stolen. And that's why Dan enlisted the help of a teenager. During questioning, Dan appeared relaxed and confident, fully expecting to return to his bachelor party. Investigators asked him for a DNA swab and he readily agreed. But when they mentioned that there would be no reason for them to find his DNA at the crime scene if he had been upfront and honest, Dan appeared to panic. At that moment, his wheels started turning, and he began to sputter random reasons why they could very possibly find his DNA there. 
First, he mentioned that he thinks he probably used Sam's bathroom, and, oh yeah, he may have gone out onto Sam's balcony. He kept changing little details in his story each time he was asked to retell it, until he spun a new one, where Sam allegedly told Dan that he killed Julie in a fit of rage and needed Dan's help to get away. Dan seemed to think that simply divulging that information would suffice, and all would be fine. However, when he was placed under arrest as an accessory to murder, Dan was clearly stunned, looking desperately back and forth at each detective in complete disbelief, stating, I'll tell you anything you want to know as long as it gets me to my wedding on Friday. This is where Dan began to further embellish his story, stating, Why, yes, he actually did see Julie's body, that she had been shot twice in the head, But that's where he slipped up. Due to the position of Julie's body, there was no way for him to know that, unless he was there. During a jailhouse phone call to his fiancée, Rachel Buffett, Dan learned that literally a bag of evidence he attempted to hide at his parents' house had been found, and he knew he was done for. When Dan realized there was zero chance of his wedding happening, he finally confessed. On Friday, May 21, 2010, Dan lured his friend Sam to the Liberty Theater in Los Alamitos under the pretense of helping him move boxes. Instead, he shot his friend in the head. The motive? Dan wanted a fancy wedding and honeymoon, but Dan was unemployed and on the brink of eviction. So, he murdered his friend for his $62,000 in combat pay. That very same evening... Dan went on stage at a different theater to perform the lead role in the musical Nine. Afterwards, he dismembered Sam's body with an axe and a saw, hid his limbs and head in El Dorado Nature Center in Long Beach, and then inexplicably left his torso at the theater. But why kill Julie Kibuishi? Julie was used as Dan's decoy. He lured her to Sam's apartment by sending text messages that night from Sam's phone. In order to explain Sam's sudden disappearance, Dan killed Julie and staged the scene to frame Sam and give police the impression that he had gone on the run. It should also be noted that the police found the following searches on Dan's computer. How to hide a body and quick ways to kill people. There are so many levels of evil to this, it's mind-numbing. And for these two young, incredibly driven individuals to be taken out by this absolute buffoon is a travesty. Here's an excerpt of his confession. Tracy and I did it. You did what? I killed Julie and I killed Sam. Okay. You're loaded behind uh, uh, killing Sam. Money and Sam. Money and Sam. Okay. Now, what you just heard at the end of that was a forced, maniacal laugh, which, most likely in Dan's mind, would seal the deal for an insanity defense. Turns out, he used the same laugh for the role in the musical he was doing at the time. It didn't work. Dan was convicted on two counts of first-degree murder and sentenced to death. However, that was in 2016, before Governor Gavin Newsom declared a moratorium on capital punishment in California. 
Dan was incarcerated in San Quentin until July 2021 when he was moved to Salinas Valley State Prison as part of the Condemned Inmate Transfer Pilot Program. In November 2012, Dan Wozniak's fiancée, Rachel Buffett, was arrested and charged as an accessory after the fact to murder. She was eventually convicted and sentenced to 44 months in jail. Rachel continues to maintain her innocence and also went on the Dr. Phil show to say that she had been duped by Dan. Both Julie and Sam's families work to keep their memories alive. Sam Hare received a hero's burial with full military honors. Hey everybody, it's Ray the Roadie. And this is Hollywood Mike with the Rock and Roll Chicago Podcast coming to you from the Illinois Rock and Roll Museum on Route 66 in Joliet, Illinois. Where once a week we are interviewing local musicians and singer-songwriters and the podcast itself covers a wide range of topics, including, but not limited to, the history of rock and roll in Chicago, the current state of the scene, and the challenges and opportunities facing musicians today. So join us every Tuesday for a new exciting episode of the Rock and Roll Chicago podcast. Thanks for joining me. This episode of Crime Cave has been brought to you by Fortress Defense Consultants, providing security consulting for educational institutions, corporate facilities, and houses of worship, as well as pepper spray, situational awareness, and defensive firearms training for police and private citizens. Find Fortress on the web at FortressDefense.com. Contact Fortress directly at 708-522-8060 or email them at info at FortressDefense.com. Avoid being the subject of a future episode of Crime Cave. Train with Fortress today. Until next time.